All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We just thank you that your word is living and active. We just confess this morning, John 8, 31 and 32, that the word that we know will set us free. You said you shall know the truth, and the truth would set you free. And we thank you we know the truth. We just thank you, Colossians 3, 16, that your word richly dwells among us today. And Father, we thank you above all that Galatians 4, 19, as we preach this morning, Christ be more completely formed in us. In the name of our Lord and best friend Jesus, we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? I'm very, very excited to bring the message to you this morning. For those of you that are new, we're in a series called On Your Mark. Would you say that with me? On Your Mark. And our series is called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. We began in January, and we began going through the uh, whole Gospel of Mark, just chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so we're going to continue in that series this morning. I do want to echo what Gail said, thanking our setup team. Uh, Trey and Tom came early and pulled the trailer. Come on, can we give, give God thanks for those guys? Chad and TC was here early, and hey, there is room for you on the setup team. Praise God. Well, I'd love to get involved in church. I just don't know what to do. Chad, would you wave at everybody? You can see Chad, and he will help you get involved. But uh, we're, we're here going to pick up this morning, and we're going to jump into Mark chapter 9. How many of you not thought we might never get to Mark chapter 9? We thought Jesus might return before we got to Mark chapter 9. But this has been such a real blessing. So we're going through verse by verse and chapter by chapter. This morning, I was praying for you. This morning I was thinking about you and, and thinking the way I prepare my messages. And, and, and this is so interesting. On my trip to Nicaragua, the pastor that I went with, David Hughes, from Memphis area, he prepared a series of sermons to take. And I prepared a series of sermons to take seven you know, hours away. We got there, started talking, dialoguing, comparing notes. We had written the same sermons for the whole week. And it wasn't this fluffy, easy Christianity message. It was really deny yourself and take up your cross and follow the Lord. And I begin to pray for you this morning. And my prayer was this. God, don't let them just believe. Don't let them just believe. Let them be a follower. Let them be a follower of Jesus. How you know that even the demons believe and tremble? But the demons are not followers of Jesus. And so as I'm preparing the messages and praying and studying, my heart is that you would become and continue to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have to believe, but don't stop there. That's only half of the equation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you, can, that if you believe in your heart, somebody say believe, believe, that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth He is Lord. So believing is half of the equation. The confessing him as Lord is the other part. What does Lord mean? Lord means boss. Lord means if I'm going to follow you, I will, I will do what you tell me to do on Sundays. I will do what you tell me to do on Tuesdays. If you tell me to invest in, over here in missions, I will. If you tell me to raise my family this way, I will. Because it's not my life. It's not my own. I'm a follower of Jesus. And through the interpreters last week in Nicaragua, I tried so hard to explain that to them. And I thought, my church might want a translator because I'll speak and then they'll speak and then I'll speak and they'll speak. And I had to really slow it down. And I thought, they might like this. They might like a translator. But that was the message for the week. And that's the message for us. I don't, I don't want to be just a believer. I want to be a follower, a sold-out, devoted follower of Jesus. Anybody else out there? I know you do. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 9. Here we go. I love this story, and I, I wrestled with so many different titles. There's so many titles that we could use for this passage, but here's the title this morning, all right? Are you ready? What to do when faith doesn't work. 
what to do when faith doesn't work. We could have labeled it all things are possible. We could have labeled it only believe. But the title that I rested on this morning is what to do when faith does not work. How many of you are interested? How many of you know a time in your life when it seemed like faith wasn't alive? Faith wasn't active. We prayed and we didn't get the answer. It seems like faith did not work. A lot of pastors won't deal with this subject because it it makes us evaluate and look at things from a real honest perspective that there are going to be times in ministry and times in life and seasons in life where it seems and appears as if your faith doesn't work. And how many know I want my faith to work? Praise God. So let's dive into this. As Miss Gail preached about last week, Jesus has just came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, what the Bible calls. He took Peter, James, and John up there, and the glory of God came, and Moses and Elijah were there, and, and, and Jesus really received revelation. And, and I believe just personally that that event happened at that time frame because Jesus needed an, an, another confirmation that he was going to the cross. And, 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 and I can only imagine what he and Moses and Elijah were talking about. And they were probably saying, Jesus, you're going to go through this cross, and, and God's going to turn his back on you, but but God will come back and, and and raise you from the dead, and you can trust in that. I can just imagine that was kind of a, a little pep talk for the Lord to give him an extra confirmation that he was following God in his humanity, and, and he was following the Lord. Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, and a lot of the God aspect he laid down to become a man on the earth. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians. So they just come down off the mountain, and they run into this problem. Isn't that just like it? You, you have this great experience in Nicaragua and then you show up and something doesn't work on the sound system. Come on, isn't that right? Or you have this promotion at work, you get this giant order in your sales and then the very next week you find out, oh, the company, by the way, is laying off. And so it's ironic to me and I think on purpose that we see Jesus on the mountain and then we see this situation happening in the valley. How many you know God is the same on the mountain and he's the same on the valley? And the lower the valley, the more you'll appreciate the mountain. And so I'll see this picture here very clearly in the gospel. So let's jump in. We're going to start in verse 14. So thankful for our media team, Jared and Jasmine. They're going to be tracking along with us. Come on, can we encourage those guys every week? They come in and bless us. Keep me on track. Praise God. Look at Mark 9, 14. When they returned, they, when they returned to the other disciples, that's at least the nine and very possibly others, Mark 9, 14, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. Now, we can only imagine what they are arguing about. So Jesus comes off the mountain. He sees his other disciples, and they're arguing with the religious leaders. They're arguing with the Pharisees. I believe they could have been saying, Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. I believe they could have been arguing about doctrine or keeping the Sabbath or who knows. How many religious people like to pick fights? That's why if you're really hyper-religious, you may not do well here because you religious people like to pick fights and religious people always have to be right. And we know Jesus is always right. The Bible is always right. And so we're, we're very con- committed to relationships, but, but these religious leaders here, they were, they were arguing and fighting. And, and, and we see a father on the mountain that is pleased with his son Jesus. And we come down into the store and we see a father that is destitute for his son. We see a, a glorious experience on the mountain and we come down the mountain into the valley and we now see a, a father who is, who is desperate for his family. And so they're arguing back and forth and look at verse 15. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. Another translation says they were overwhelmed with amazement. 
Here in verse 15, and they ran to greet Jesus. So here Jesus comes down the mountain. They're arguing and fighting and bickering and as only they could do. And the crowd sees Jesus and they know the miracles that he's done. They know the power. His reputation precedes him. And they take off running to go to the Lord. And I want you to see here what happens. They were overwhelmed. Verse 16, Jesus said, what is all this arguing about? Do we have that, Jared? Can you find verse 16? What is all this arguing about? And so in his humanity, Jesus did not know what they were fussing and fighting about. As God, uh, he would know. But in, as a man, he did not know what they were arguing about. He relied on the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit to do his ministry. Jesus relied on the revelation of the Holy Spirit to give him insight into the, to the lives of others. He said, what are you arguing about? Verse 17 in Mark 9, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow with me. One of the men in the crowd spoke up. Now notice this here. The religious leaders didn't speak up. The disciples didn't speak up. They were quiet. Jesus said, what are you all arguing about? And there was a silence. And this voice in the back of the crowd, this man spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that will not let him talk. He's mute. Verse 18 says, Whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. He begins to foam at the mouth and grind his teeth. He becomes rigid and stiff. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I brought my son to you who is possessed by a demon. He's thrown into the fire and he's thrown into the, to the waters. We'll see he's foaming at the mouth. He's having seizures and he's rigid. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not help them. Their faith didn't work. So let's see what happened here in this passage. Verse 19 says, Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? How many of you felt like the Lord has said that to you before? How long must I put up with you? So if I ever ask you, how long must I put up with you? I'm just following the Lord. I'm just following the Bible here. Jesus said in verse 19, how long must I put up with you? How, you know, he said, bring me the boy. Now, here's something very interesting. If you remember back in Mark chapter 6, this is something very interesting because the, the disciples had authority to heal. Somebody say, they had the authority. Mark chapter 6 says the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins. And it says in verse 13 that they cast out many demons and healed many sick, anointing olive oil. So there was a time and a moment in the life of the disciples where faith was clicking and faith was working, but something changed, something shifted, and this instant was different. And now they could not drive out the demon from the boy. So where did their faith get off track? Was it the father's faith that got off track, or was it... The disciples' faith who was, had been derailed. What, who's to blame here that the faith is not working? Let's keep reading. Verse 20 in Mark 9. So they brought the boy to Jesus. And notice this. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, foaming at the mouth. Jesus said, how long has this been happening? Now let me ask you this. 
Again, Jesus in his humanity didn't have all unlimited knowledge. He relied on the Holy Spirit for insight. Just like we must rely on the Holy Spirit for insight. Why didn't Jesus just say, come out, demon, be gone? Jesus here is engaging this man. He's asking questions. He's taking time to listen to what is going on. It wasn't, okay, bring the boy, be healed. All right, bring me the next one, be healed. Okay, Jesus is not a Pez dispenser of just miracles. Isn't that a good analogy? Just poop, there's your healing. Poop, there's your healing. Poop, there. Jesus is more concerned about relationships. And so he asked the father, he, he begins to talk to the father. How long has this been happening? Tell me about this. What's going on with your son? Because Jesus is way more concerned with your relationship with him through the father than he is just the miracles that you might receive. You may receive miracles and healings like we saw last week in Nicaragua, but, but Jesus is more concerned about the relationship. He said, how long has this been happening? The father said, since he's a little boy. Imagine for a moment, Kathy, if you can, you have nice young men living with you. And I know they're a handful sometimes, but we love them anyway, don't we? Just like my kids are a handful sometimes. Just like my wife is a handful sometimes. All right, moving on here. I'm teasing. I'm in trouble now. But imagine if every waking moment you had to be concerned about being this, this young man being thrown into the fire, thrown into the water. Injuring himself or injuring others. There's no peace. Somebody say, no peace. There's no rest. Say, no rest. This man is at his wit's end. He's had all he can take. Been happening since a boy. Verse 22. The man said, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Satan was after our kids then, and he's after our kids now. And we got to draw a line in the sand and say, you can't have any of our kids. I have four children, and I'm believing God for a 100% success rate that they follow God with all their heart. I'm praying over that and investing in that now. So when they're teenagers, I'm not having to drag them to church. I want them running to church, praise God. And so that's my prayer for my kids. We're not going to lose any of our kids. We're not going to lose any of our teenagers. We're not going to lose any of our babies because God has a plan for them. Notice this here what the man said in verse 22. Have mercy on us if you can. Have mercy on us if you can. Say that with me. Have mercy on us if you can. Now, Jesus here is almost a little insulted. He's thinking, I just talked to Elijah. <laughs> I just talked to Moses. I've walked on water. I've come to sea. I've healed Hundreds and hundreds of people. And you're asking me if I can? <laughs> what do you mean, verse 23? What do you mean if I can? Jesus said anything. He said all things are possible if a person believes. So the ability of God is not in question. The, the, the ability to can is not in question. Jesus can. Jesus is able. The ability is, can the man receive? Can the man believe? Can he push down this doubt and this unbelief? And can he believe what Jesus can do? This morning, I'm telling you that Jesus is able and Jesus is willing. And so, can we believe what he has given to us? What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> I can just kind of see Jesus kind of getting a little bit, you know, 
he, he was kind of getting a little bit concerned. He, what do you mean if I can't? He's thinking, boy, I made you. I've got the hairs on your head numbered. Before you were, I am. I made this universe. And you're asking if I can handle this problem? But how many know in spite of us, God works in our life? In spite of me, God's working in my family. Come on, amen? In spite of me, God's at work in our church. Can I have a big amen? Not that big, but praise God. In spite of some of my doubts and in spite of my failures and in spite of my weakness, God meets me where I am and He still wants to work with me because of His plan and because of His love. If a person believes anything is possible, the Father instantly cried out. Notice this here. This is the topic of our message. You probably never heard this before. Some of you, this is brand new. This is going to change your life. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you say that with me? Say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to submit to you something this morning, okay? Your ability to receive from God is not based on the size of your faith. Let me say that again. Your ability to receive from God is not based on the size of your faith. We're going to read in just a moment in Matthew's account, later on in Matthew 17, where this same passage, Jesus said, if you only had the faith as of a grain of mustard seed, then you could believe for anything. Say this to me. Say, my faith is not the problem. If you have enough faith to believe Jesus as your Lord and to forgive you of your sins and to make you a new creation on the inside, you have enough faith on the inside of you to believe for anything. Your faith is not the problem. So what's the problem when faith doesn't work? It's the size of the unbelief. He said, I believe. I wouldn't have brought my boy to you if I didn't believe. I wouldn't have came this far. I wouldn't have traveled this journey with my son. I'm here on purpose because I believe, but help my unbelief. I love this man's honesty. He didn't claim to have it all figured out. He didn't claim to know how it all worked. He just said, I believe it. I got a lot of unbelief in here too. So what we're going to deal with this morning is not faith. We're going to deal with unbelief. We're going to deal with Relief from unbelief. Look at verse 25. Jesus saw the crowd was growing, and so he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Jesus spoke and took authority, and he gave that authority to us. Just like Jesus drove out demons and cast out evil spirits, we've now begun to be given the same authority that Jesus was given through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you haven't unlocked that door yet. Some of you haven't figured out the combination in the Word of God to, to release that authority in your life, but it's there. Notice this here in verse 26. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him, and the boy appeared as dead. Let me know that this is serious stuff here. Notice this here. Then a murmur ran through the crowd and saying, He's dead, he's dead. But verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand, helped him up. Afterwards, verse 28, Jesus was alone at the house with his disciples. Now there's a teaching moment. You see, Jesus did not rebuke his disciples publicly for not being able to heal this young boy. He took them aside. And the disciples came and they asked him and they said, Master, 
Why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? Why did my faith not work? And look at Jesus' answer in Matthew 17. Matthew 17 and verse 20, you'll see this answer. You don't even have enough faith, Jesus told them. If you had the faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And in verse 21, this is what I want you to see, Matthew 17, 21, and then it's also in Mark, uh, verse 29, he said, but this kind, somebody say this kind, but this kind, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Somebody say this kind. Now, I want to I wanna help you here because I want to teach you something. Somebody say, this kind. All my life I've heard preachers say, well, certain demons you got to pray more, certain kinds of sicknesses you got to fast more. He's not talking about the kind of demon. He's talking about the kind of unbelief. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. There is no demon that can stand up against the power of God, whether it's a little bit of power or whether it's a lot of power. He's not saying this kind of demon only comes out by prayer and fasting. I've heard preachers teach this, and they say if you'll pray and fast, then then basically you will earn your way for God to use you more. Now, let me tell you, there is some truth to that. You should pray and you should fast, and there is a certain thing that happens when you do that, but it's not to get God to give you more power. God has already given you all the power He's ever going to give you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, after you receive the baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. It says you shall receive power. So this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. What kind? This kind of unbelief. So either A, the disciples had some unbelief, had crept in, which I don't really know that that was the problem. Who admitted that they had unbelief? The man. Now, are we condemning the man? No. Are we throwing stones at the man? No. Are we casting judgment on the man? No way. But this man had unbelief, which can only be resolved by prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about what that means practically, what that looks like. Because it's not praying and fasting to get God to do something. He's already done it. Praying and fasting positions me to receive what God has already done. It puts me in alignment with what God wants. That's when we pray, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what praying and fasting does. And it brings us into alignment so we get perspective and we can clearly hear the word of the Lord. And then that unbelief, the more time I spend in his presence, the smaller and smaller the unbelief becomes in my life. And so all of us, somebody say all, all of us are susceptible to unbelief. And I want to talk about that for just a few minutes. Unbelief, write this down if you're taking notes. Unbelief is a weapon. Unbelief is a weapon that Satan uses against us. We see in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16 it says, Take up the shield of faith so you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we take up a shield which is faith because Satan uses unbelief. Faith is the weapon of God. Right, amen? Faith is the weapon God uses to defeat the enemy in my life. So, so fear and doubt and unbelief is the weapon that Satan uses against me and God's plan for my life. Now, I want you to see this. 
Number one, let me give you some forms of unbelief. I want you to see this. What, what kind of unbelief? There are different kinds of unbelief. This kind that this man was dealing with comes out only by prayer and fasting. Pull up the screen. Forms of unbelief. Number one is fear. Write that down. Fear. Fear. Let's talk about it. What do I mean, Pastor? What is fear? Fear. Write this down. Fear is the emotion of unbelief. How many know anytime you step out to follow God, you can be fearful? When we came over here to the middle school, we prayed, sought the Lord, since God really leading us to move our services over here. I can guarantee you there was fear. What if people don't come? What if people don't like it? There was fear. What if half the church leaves? What if they kick us out? What if, what if, what if? The emotion of unbelief is fear. How many of you say you have heard from God and taken a step and felt legitimate fear for what you were doing? It's the emotion of unbelief. It's, it's fear of failure. Oh, if I step out and join YWAM and go all across the world to Thailand, and what if, what if we fail? What if we don't raise our budget? Have you ever felt like that, Jennifer? It's fear. Fear is the emotional draw of unbelief. And, and what, if, what if there's fear of rejection? God says, witness to your neighbor. God says, I want you to tell your neighbor I love him. Well, what if he punches me? What if he does? What if he shoots me? Then you're with Jesus. Praise God. Just make sure our church is a beneficiary of your life insurance policy. Praise God. We've got a few pieces of equipment we'd like to buy in your honor. We'll put a plaque on it just for you. I'm teasing. Fear of rejection, fear of failure. What happened to Peter when he stepped out of the boat to follow Jesus? Fear. You know what's so funny, Rinkum? This is so funny. The Bible says when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid. I mean, no, you can't walk on water on a calm day. He's walking on the water. Who cares if it's stormy? If it's as smooth as glass, you can't walk on water. But when he saw the wind and waves, he became afraid. Unbelief is attached to fear. Fear, if not dealt with, listen, friends, listen to this, please hear this fear, if not dealt with, and not confronted will lead to unbelief. How many times does the Bible say, fear not, fear not, take courage? You take, you have to take courage. Courage is something you take. Somebody say, fear not. Somebody besides Bob and Gail say, fear not. Thank you. The, the more you amen, the shorter I'll preach. Now, it's, it's too late for today already. We'll have to make that up next week. Look at this next one here. There is no way. There's no way that's possible. I have caught myself, and my sweet wife is so good at helping me because I'll say, there's no way that's possible. How many of you said there's no way that's possible? Am I the only honest one in the house? Anybody else? Come on, help me. I feel lonely. Thank you. Amen. There's no way we can do that. There's no way. Let me tell you what we've helped, committed to helping in, in Nicaragua with Pastor David. Uh, the Pastor Alvaro is, is building a church there, and it's such a great ministry, and God's really using that church. And they have a, one story, and they need to raise a second story. 
and they're going to put offices and classrooms, and they're going to house women who are rescued from trafficking. God's put it in their heart to rescue women off the streets, but they need a place for them to live and sleep, and they need a place for them to uh, work and and have access to Internet and so forth and so on. And so it's cost $24,000 to build this building, and the Lord spoke to Pastor David's heart and said, you will dedicate this upstairs by September. And he gave him $5,000 on the mission trip to get it started. But in the natural mind, of course, he said, now, your church gets to help. I said, praise God, we'll help. We'll help you with that. In the natural, there's no way. Not on Pastor David's end, but Pastor Alvaro in Nicaragua saying, you're going to raise $24,000 U.S. dollars to finish the, the building so you can house these trafficked women by September? There's no way. But doesn't the Bible say in Isaiah, doesn't the the Bible declare in Isaiah 43 that the Lord would make a way through the sea and the Lord would make a path through many waters? Doesn't the Bible say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And won't He make a way where there is no way? So God tells our awesome friend BJ that he's going to go back to school and finish his degree or tells our sweet mama Sabrina I don't see her but that she's going to go back to school as a single mom of three kids and finish her degree there's no way how many know they've both completed it come on can we give God thanks come on there is a way there's no way Meshach should have walked out of that accident there's no way he should have been flown to Lifestar on Thursday and walked to his car on Thursday to go home There's no way. Oh, but friends, there is a way. And so this man was feeling there's no way. There's you got five thousand men plus women and children, could be fifteen to twenty thousand people. We got a few fish, a few loaves. Walmart's closed, it's after hours. I've got a $500 a day limit on my debit card. (laughs) There's no way. (laughs) Let me know there is a way when God says it. Let me help you here. When God says it, there's a way. Now, God, if God didn't author it, He's not obligated to finish it. Ooh, that was good. I, I know you came for the coffee and snacks, but that was worth coming for right there. God is obligated to finish what He authors. If he starts it, he'll finish it. The good work, Philippians 1.6, God began in Andrea. He's obligated to finish it. But if I get outside of what God has authored, and if I get outside of what God has ordered, he has no obligation to bless my mess. Can I have an amen? Ooh, it's quiet in this place. But that's encouraging because we just get on board with God. We just get on the God train and find out what he's authoring, and then we jump right in. Let me know my God is bigger than no way. No way I can do this with my family. No way I can get a better job. No way I can pay these bills. No way I can get out from under this debt. No, there is a way. And when we say there's no way, that is the first step. That is a kind of unbelief. And it stops God from moving in our life. There's no way you could put your house on the market and sell it in six hours or whatever, (laughs) a day or whatever it was. And you know, there is a way when God says it. Can I have an amen? Is this good or would you rather have Gail preach? Don't answer that. That's a trick question. Because we probably would rather have Gail preach. But Gail is awesome. High five. I didn't mean that as a negative towards you. Can we encourage Gail? Come on, one more time. I'm in trouble. Smattering of applause. All right. All right, here we go. Lack of resources. There's no way we can 
pack our church up and move to a school, we don't have enough people. There's no way we can build a building in Nicaragua. We don't have enough finances. There's no way I can do this. I don't have personally what it takes. I'm not gifted enough to do this. And so we let lack of resources, lack of human resources, lack of financial resources, lack of personal resources. When God speaks, He will provide what we need. I will never say again, God help me, we don't have the money for that. How many of churches that, that don't need any money, they're not doing anything? I mean, if you're doing ministry and loving people and making a difference, how many know it takes money? How many know it takes people? And so we, we must not let lack of resources stop us from doing what God has called us to do. In the natural, it seems impossible to dedicate that building in September. But we may Facebook stream it live because I believe God's going to do it because he authored it. And so we, can let, we cannot let lack of resources, people, personal resources... Doubt says, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to get the people? Where are we going to get the money? Faith says, God said it. He'll provide. Now, should we use wisdom? Yes. Should we save? Should we plan? Yes. But when we hear the word of the Lord, we should go. We should step out in faith whether the money is there or not. Can I have an amen? Whether the people are there or not. And we trust God that if we've heard from him, that we'll see fruit. Last one is our unrenewed mind. And now what I'm going to do next week, we're going to pick up on how do we overcome unbelief. This is types of unbelief. Fear. There's no way. Seeing the natural. Lack of resources. And then our own unrenewed mind. This is human thinking. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so we see here a marvelous testimony. The man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Next week, I want to give you seven principles to help us go from unbelief to faith. We want, to, we want relief from unbelief. And so I want you to come back next week because I've got such a word here stirring in my heart. What does the Bible say? Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. What does it say? And we're going to close with this scripture. It says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes the greatest enemy is my mind. Sometimes the greatest enemy to what God wants to do in your family is between your ears. And if we could just trust God at His Word, see that the prayer and fasting gives you perspective to hear what the Lord is saying. You can't just run out and try to do stuff. you got to do what He's doing. What did Jesus say? He said, I only do what I hear the Father saying to do. The, can I just be honest with you? Or would you like me to lie? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, okay? The problem is most churches in America, the people in the churches aren't spending time with God to know what the Lord is saying to do. And so we're out running over here. We're out running over here. That's why we are so cautious to say yes to something because we want to know, has God authored this for us? I'm so cautious to commit my family to something because if I make a commitment, I want to stick to it. So I must gauge and discern, is this what God is saying for me? Is this what God is saying for my house? Is this what God is saying to my, my children? Because if he says it, his blessings will be on it. And then I can push these unbelief down. I can push this fear. I can push the fear of lack of resources. There is no way I can push that down. I can push my own human carnal mind down and I can walk by faith and not by sight. Isn't that good news? Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Even though my mind cannot apprehend miracles and my mind cannot wrap itself around you and your goodness, 
I just believe your word. I just say, Lord, you said it, that settles it, and therefore I believe it. And Lord, my heart this morning for your people is that they would be such a committed follower of you that you help us push this unbelief down. Lord, the prayer this morning is, is I believe, God, but help my unbelief. Take our faith to a greater level in you where we receive everything that you have for us. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me pray with you for just a minute. Don't, don't check out. Don't fall asleep. No Facebook right now if you can. This is very important. The first step in walking in the fullness of God is surrendering your life to Jesus. And if you've never given your life to the Lord, maybe you're here out of obligation. Maybe someone drug you here. Maybe a family member made you come. And you're here just out of obligation or it's just maybe you're hiding and been running from the Lord. This morning, come home. The Father's calling you to a relationship with Him. If you don't know if you were to die tonight, if you would go to heaven or hell, Jesus is standing and he's, he's, His arms are open and He says, If you will, whosoever will call upon me shall be saved. Now I'm not going to tell you the Christian journey is going to be easy. But I will tell you that the Christian journey is, is a commitment and it is fulfilling. It does involve sacrifice, but it is the most rewarding thing that you will ever put your hand to is following the Lord Jesus. So if you say, I want to become a disciple of Jesus, I want to push down this unbelief, I want to surrender my life to Him. Romans 3 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're all in danger of the judgment of God if we are away from God. But judgment is reserved for His enemies. We are His friends as His children. We're no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters. This morning, you can receive grace. You can receive a fresh start. Can I pray with you this morning? If you say, Pastor James, that's me. On the count of three, I want to surrender my life to Christ for the first time or for, for maybe the second or third time. I want to come back. I want to recommit my life to the, to the Lord. Give me the honor today, friends, of praying with you. Would you slip up your hand now? Anybody in the room? Say, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Anybody in the room at all? All right, keep your heads bowed. Lord, Thank you for the believers that are among us. But Lord, would you prick our hearts for the lost? God, that we may invest in relationships out of the church, that we may invite them to come to Jesus. We may invite them, Lord, to come to this church so they can hear the Word of God. Then when they show up, God, let us include them and make them feel loved and welcome. And Lord, would you give us a heart for the lost? Lord, I know the church that is not reaching those far from God will cease to be a church. And so, Father, prick all of our hearts this week with compassion. God, let us be overwhelmed with a holy compassion for those who are far away from you and distant from you. God, just like Jesus saw the hurt in this father's eyes who brought his boy, let us see the hurt in the eyes of those around us. Lord, we'll do Luke 14. We'll go out to the hedges and highways and byways and we will compel them to come in that your house may be full. The reason, God, you want your house full is because you want to love those that are in the house. And I pray for every empty seat. Would you just touch the seat beside you? I pray for every empty seat, Lord, that as these people come in, that as you send them in, God, as we're called to reach 10% of our community, when they sit in this chair, 
Let them feel your love. Let them be overwhelmed with your compassion. Let them be overwhelmed with your conviction. God, if they need a miracle in their body as they sit in the chair, Lord, let the Spirit of God begin to flow through them and and let them receive what they need from you. We pray that the families represented in these chairs will be strengthened. We pray the marriages will be put back together. We pray the alcoholic will be set free and the drug addict will be set free and the chains of bondage will be broken from the moment they pull in the parking lot. God, let this be a moment of restoration for the church of not yet. Lord, open our spiritual eyes to see this place full full of people running to you, just like in our story. People were running to Jesus. God, would you let our eyes see this auditorium full of people seeking you and your heart so that we can go out and make a major, major difference for the Lord. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.